Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Women Scholars and Professionals podcast. My name is Anne Boyd, and I'll be your host. We at Women Scholars and Professionals are here to support women in their God-given callings into the university and beyond. So if you're a graduate student or a faculty member, an administrator or a student in professional school, a scholar in between jobs, or simply a person who supports women in the academic world, then this podcast is for you. For each of us, the stories of culture, race, and ethnicity lay the foundation of our identities and our expressions of faith. In today's conversation, authors Sabrina S. Chan and La Tao talk with me about Asian American identity from a Christian perspective. Together with two other authors, they have written the book, Learning Our Names, Asian American Christians on Identity, Relationships, and Vocation. Sabrina and La and I discuss the significance of this book at this time in history, the distinctiveness of different Asian cultures in America, and the gifts of growing in one's cultural awareness. This conversation is thoughtful and informative for anyone who identifies as Asian American or if you're someone who loves and appreciates the Asian American people in your life. I think you'll enjoy listening to this conversation. So let me tell you a little bit about our guests. Sabrina S. Chan, a daughter of immigrants from Hong Kong, is National Director of Asian American Ministries for InterVarsity Christian Fellowship in USA. She is an ordained minister and earned a master's degree in theology from Fuller Theological Seminary. La Tao, who is Hmong American, is an InterVarsity campus staff in Wisconsin and previously served as the director of InterVarsity's Hmong Christian Collegiate Conference. So let's dive right in. We're so glad you're here with us. I'd love to start by asking you to say a little bit about why you wrote this book and why you wrote it at this time in history and how you decided to write it together along with two other contributors. Yeah, I can start us on that. Um, I took the role of National Director of Asian American Ministries for InterVarsity in 2017, late 2017. And one of the first things I had been thinking about was it, you know, as I share in the introduction of the book, when I was in college, uh, IVP published uh, Following Jesus Without Dishonoring Your Parents, which was really instrumental for me in college. Um, and it had been a long time since we'd had um, a more general book for Asian Americans. There was a book for women, actually, which I highly recommend, More Than Serving Tea, um, in the mid-2000s, um, but it had been a minute since that book as well. And um, wanted to write for... Uh, today's generation. And also the original Following Jesus Without Dishonoring Your Parents was um, an all East Asian writing team. So mm -hmm. they were Japanese American, Korean American, and Chinese American. And Asian America is quite diverse, though we are often painted as sort of like uh, one one thing. Um, and so really wanted to um, invite writers from several 
other different backgrounds as well. So including South Asian, so Linson's Indian American and um, Southeast Asian. Um, so La is Hmong and uh, David is Filipino. Um, and also, you know, for, for now. So we started, we actually met in 2018 in, in November to start um, working on our proposal and um, figuring out what chapters we wanted to write and all these different things and um, submit our proposal, approved, thought it wouldn't take that long. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, you know, we got, we got some writing done, uh, met together early 2020 and we're like, okay, well, we'll just knock this out, you know, the rest of this semester. And, and then the pandemic hit, which was very challenging and also really um, made more visible anti-Asian racism. And so um, I think both made it more heavy, I think, to be engaging in writing as well as um, it, it felt more urgent, right? Like, yeah. how do we, how do we, um, get this out there? Uh, those are just a few thoughts. Lai, I, you know, would love to hear, have you share a little bit more too about why you said yes to joining? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can. Um, yeah, the books that Sabrina mentioned, um, More Than Serving Tea, Fallen Jesus Without Designing Parents were like both books that were very influential for me too, um, just be you know, there's just not that many books written by Asian Americans for Asian Americans. And I've enjoyed those books, but I've also, for me as a Hmong American, being in Asian American spaces that tend to be dominated by East Asians, have always felt some tension within those spaces of not quite belonging. Like, I feel like I belong and I, I like it, but um, it didn't feel like it was the space for me sometimes. And that was something that I felt for a while and didn't know how to uh, verbalize or how to explain what it was that I was experiencing. And, um, and I remember some people telling me, you know, maybe we need something new, um, besides just those books that we already have, um, that actually includes more stories of Asian Americans. And that was something I've always been interested in. I've never really thought about like writing a book until, um, Sabrina invited me uh, to that project and, it yeah it was I think it was an easy yes like I was excited about it it was scary though because you know like writing a book can I write a book um but the the reason for it and the purpose um made a lot of sense to me it was what I was for and so um I was really excited about that opportunity and I'm I'm glad that I got to be a part of it well, I'm so glad you wrote this book. I learned so much reading it and I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed reading um the different writing styles and experiences of of each of the authors. Um and I want to I want to dive in by asking a little bit about um some of the history. So you you share in one of the chapters in very broad strokes some of the history of the Asian American community and you touch on migration and labor and the Cold War and the Immigration Act of 1965. And I'll be honest, there was a lot in that chapter that I just had not known before. And I'm guessing I'm not the only person who has some holes in my education on this topic. So I want to ask, what do you think people miss out on by not knowing the history of Asian Americans? Yeah, I mean, so one, since since I know this is um, Women in the Academy, I want to shout out to our um, some Asian American historians and faculty that we've learned a lot from. And actually, 
uh, ask, I, I remember, you know, calling one of them at one point and, and asking a little bit like, okay, help me understand this. Like, I just, I'm going to cite this and I want to make sure I understand yeah. um, mm -hmm. for a, a different chapter. Um, and I think we, as I talked with David about this chapter, one of the things we were trying to do was create connection points for Asian Americans, because I think, um, you know, it's, yeah, it is really meant to be an introduction, like just an introduction, a connection yeah. point for how does my story fit in maybe? So he's trying to offer different, um, yeah, places of connection for, you know, maybe the second generation immigrant, maybe a refugee family, maybe, you know, fifth generation who's been here longer, you know, some mm -hmm. of these different things. Um, so I think for Asian Americans, we miss out not knowing our own stories, our own um, connection to um, justice movements mm -hmm. um, in Asian America, but also in solidarity with other uh, minority communities as well, particularly the civil rights movement. Um, and, and I think we miss, we, when we don't know the history, I think for ourselves, we um, might only know our own community and even maybe just our very local community story or family mm -hmm. story. Um, and then I think sometimes the rest gets filled in by stereotype, mm -hmm. you know, or what broader culture might tell us, at least that was my experience, you know? And so when I first started to learn, and I didn't learn Asian American history in school. So when I first started to learn it, I was like, oh, oh, like there's a lot. The the racism I experience, you know, at, at school or at the airport or wherever, that's deeply rooted. Like that's not just a a new thing, right? Yeah. And so that that was important for me. Yeah, I, I do feel like Asian Americans, like we don't even know our own history too, right? Like as a collective or even maybe more details of our like individual histories, like within our ethnic groups. Um, and so, yeah, I, I feel like when we don't know our stories, um, we, we do miss out a lot on, on like who we are, especially when we're trying to understand who we are and our families and, you know, why we do what we do. Like, I think a lot of our stories and our narratives uh, connect with the, are, in, are inter interconnected with that or they're um, they have something to do with that too and so um, yeah I think those are so important um, and I yeah I feel like we people have a certain perspective or view of who Asian Americans are and it's mm -hmm. very limited and um, there's just so much richness and things that we haven't even maybe really explored yet uh, within our stories or within our history and um and I think when we don't know the history or even begin to explore that, we don't go deeper into what else is missing. Can I underline one thing you said? I love what you said. It made me think of mm -hmm. something else. Like you were saying it helps us know why we do what we do. Because I feel mm -hmm. like um, internalizing racism or internalize, like the way that internalized racism tends to work is like, it's easy to pathologize the the things about our particular Asian culture is like, oh, why we're always like this, or we're always like that. And in a negative way, because maybe that's what um, the narrative we're hearing from dominant culture is like, oh, why are y'all people always like that? But mm -hmm. when I learn more about Asian American history and survival and, you know, what people have had to do to make it, you know, it became, it, it, it gave context. And it was like, oh, actually, no, this is what is happening here. It's not just mm -hmm. why are y'all always like that and it's negative. It's like, no, this is a survival um 
mechanism. Like this is about survival and and also learning about stories of resistance was really um, meaningful because it's like, oh yeah, you know, people have been, um, you know, speaking up. Um, we don't often hadn't learned those stories, but they're there and we can um, learn more about them and share them. So, yeah. Well, the history is, um, it was so great to get a, a bigger picture of that. And then also it was so wonderful then to be drawn into your individual stories, some of the background, you know, each author shares of their own individual background, um, personal stories. And, um, and it makes me want to turn um, a question to pose a question to Law. So Law, one of the mm -hmm. chapters you wrote is about singleness. And then another one is about parents. And I couldn't help but notice the way those two ideas fit together, especially in the way that parents can nag about singleness. And this is something mm -hmm. we we hear from time to time at the well <laughs> with um, women academics. <laughs> and so I'm wondering, what are some key ideas that you're hoping to convey to readers as they consider relationships like this in their lives? For me, I think as I get older and I experience different relationships in my lives, like I feel like relationships, like I can feel very insecure about relationships sometimes. Like if I haven't talked to a friend in a while, it's like, are we still friends? Like, are we, you know, what do they think about me now or whatever? And then, uh, and sometimes relationships can be very fragile too. Um, uh, they're hard work and they yeah. do require our attention and focus on it. And um, and it's so easy for us to, um, I think, neglect our relationships. Um, so I think sometimes we can become too busy and it impacts our relationships or we become too safe and just, the relationships we already have that we're not open to other relationships in our lives. Um, and so, I don't know. I just feel like I, I hope we, um, I think can really treasure and value the relationships we have, but also be open to what are new relationships, like always be open to that. Um, uh, because I think for me as a single person, like it's been really hard to develop relationships with others as well. Like other than like, you know, I have my own struggles with that. Like I can be busy or whatever, but I just feel like um, there's just been some communities I've been a part of where it's, it was really hard to build relationships there. And as a single person, that was really hard because I felt much more alone or, um, or that like, yeah, like it was, you know, maybe this is just going to be impossible for me to build relationships with people who are focused on, you know, other areas of their lives, like maybe their families or whatever. And so, yeah, I, um, I think relationships are just so important and they're so valuable to us. Like we can't go without having relationships. And, um, and I think when I wrote the single chapter, I wanted people to pay attention to that. Um, and, you know, like, I don't know, like, it doesn't matter what kind of relationships you have, whether they're friendships, dating, or you're married, like, uh, enjoy the relationships that you're in, um, and the people that you're with and, um, and yeah, and just be open to having more relationships in your lives. Like, I think there's just so much, so many blessings that we can get from our relationships with people. And I, you know, like, I, I know some people who just get caught up in the, um, feeling really down because they weren't in a relationship or they weren't married yet or whatever. And, um, and I've, Sometimes I'm like, I, I don't think we need to feel like we need to follow a certain trajectory in our lives or a certain timeline. Um, and I think when we really bound our lives to that, I think it we 
I wouldn't feel like I would, I'm enjoying my life as much, mm-hmm. or I, um, or maybe I'm missing out on other things that could bring me more joy than just wanting to be in a relationship. Um, and yeah, just live. Like, I think don't feel like your life doesn't start until you, you're in a dating relationship and you get married. Um, your life is happening right now and uh, be present in it. Yeah. Sabrina, one of the chapters you wrote is about leadership. And in that chapter, you offer some connections to the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 in Mark chapter chapter 6. And then I was particularly struck by your list of what's needed for the long haul. So can you say a little bit more about those recommendations? Yeah. Um, you know, I realized probably, you know, I think it was happening while I was writing it, but a lot of what I wrote about in the leadership section was coming out of... Um, you know, pastoring a lot of leaders um, in ministry, but also um, outside of ministry and in, in many different places. And I think, you know, as we referred to earlier, just the history of Asian Americans is that um, uh, many of us sort of struggle with this like performance, like got to work harder, mm-hmm. um, whether that's survival, right? Like, you know, our, our parents or, um, previous generations moved here and just had to survive. So they just worked really hard, you know? And so there's that piece. Um, and for many of us, and I think a lot of that comes out of the, the both the survival piece, but also Asian Americans as labor. And we're useful if we're, um, we're accepted if we're useful, conditionally accepted. Um, so some of the pieces I talk about in this section about what's needed for the long haul, I think is trying to address that in a way of it, 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 trying to address some of those things. So saying, yeah, how do we trust God and not perfectionism? Whereas I, I feel like many of us struggle with perfectionism because there's a sense of like, if I get something wrong, then I'm not useful. Or I've been uh, called out because I did something wrong. And then that just um, adds to this feeling of difference mm-hmm. um, and othering. Um, but saying, you know, like, what does it look like to trust that God is with us as we try things, like to not let our perfectionism hold us back from trying new things or um, trusting that, you know, as we head out in a direction that God can move us, you know, we don't have to make the perfect decision. I talk about community, um, how important that is. And then uh, the one that I was, I was thinking about today that when you want to, when you were asking this question is around, um, I talk about mental health, spiritual health, emotional health. Um, and I think that's, that's a, that's a significant thing um, for many Asian Americans. And, you know, now uh, I, I talk, I don't remember if I talk about this in the chapter, but I talk about this now is that um, as we're engaging our world, like engaging systems is challenging, systems that weren't designed for us, yeah. you know? So in a lot of ways, most institutions in the United States are not designed for um, women and also not designed for mm-hmm. people of color, right? Um, and engaging, just living life can, can be just exhausting in that. And, and I think about, you know, things like therapy and spiritual direction and um, these different pieces, those are uh, supports that we can reach out to, not because we're weak at all. It's because we're engaging systems that were not meant for us mm-hmm. and that's exhausting. And so we, we want those things. We need those things. So that, that's been kind of my uh, uh, soapbox lately. Um, and, and, and to say like, that's what, allows us to um, be in the system or be in the places we are and and try and enact change, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
So, um, yeah, so that, that's, that's some that's some of what I was aiming for in that chapter. I want to talk about vocation. Um, one of the other authors of this book, Linson Daniel, he wrote a chapter on vocation, and the word vocation is in the title of your book. And I'm really, I'm drawn to this topic because it is something that we discuss a lot here mm. at the well. Like what patterns or processes are helpful to understand about vocational discernment in Asian American cultures? And I mean, how does that intersect with um, the idea of being aware of your own desires? I mean, there's an element of self-awareness, knowing about your own desires. Like how do those things all intersect? maybe generally and for you? Hmm. Um, I mean, I think there are just a lot of different expectations in our lives or we we hold different vocations. So like, um, you know, you could be like a husband or a wife to someone or like a daughter. And, um, and I feel like you can't just go like, let me just make this, individual decision like by myself and not think about how that impacts the people around me right um and so I don't know I I I think for me um I think knowing those expectations and it's not like these are bad expectations sometimes I have a desire to fulfill those expectations I care about those things or the people uh, involved in that and so sometimes I can be I can feel like I like it's impossible to find that one place that satisfies everybody <laughs> uh, when you're making decisions and choices. Um, and so um, I think for me, it's been helpful for me to understand that, yeah, I have a lot of expectations or there are a lot of expectations in my lives or things I need to fulfill. Um, but I, I don't have to fulfill all of those. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and if I make a, decision, if God's inviting me into something, uh, I can trust that if I'm not, if I make a choice or a decision in my vocation or whatever, that doesn't fulfill something else, uh, I could trust God with that. Um, I also feel like sometimes we prioritize things like this is most important. And then this next thing, like, I feel like we think that way about like expectations or the different areas of our lives, but I don't feel like we always live that way. And I don't know if that's like almost I don't know if that's always like the most helpful way to think about it too. Um, and, and so I think that those are things that I like I'm wrestling through when mm-hmm. it comes to like understanding vocation discerning it um, for me. And I think for a lot of Asian Americans, because we uh, yeah, we are relationships are so important to Asian Americans. And um, those are things we have to consider when we're uh, discerning and making decisions um, for us. Yeah. I was curious a lot. Can you say more about the part where you're saying about prioritizing and maybe mm-hmm. not, it's not the, val- I, I can't, actually I can't remember exactly the phrase you used, but I was like, oh, I want to oh, hear more about that and why it might yeah, not be Yeah, I best. mean, I think sometimes when we think about like our values, we're like, okay, like as Christians, it's like, oh, God's most important and then maybe like family or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I feel like, I don't know, like, I feel like it's messier than that. <laughs> yes. Uh, and so, and I, I don't think we're able to live that way. Yeah. Um, like we, I think we want to say that, um, uh, so, um, or like we're bounded by those things too. Um, mm. so I think sometimes when we're like, okay, well, God said, to, I'm going to do this or God invited me to this. So it doesn't matter what my family thinks I'm going to do this. You know, like, right, it's like, right. I don't think that's the, yeah. yeah, the right way of thinking and discerning yeah. things. Um, yeah. yeah. 
So yeah, that it's not as binary. Is that, yeah. that kind of, yeah, yeah. I love that. Well, it's yeah. good. It's like we have values, but then how do the values function together? Mm -hmm. Yeah. They can't just exclude each other. So like, mm -hmm. how does that work? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's good. Well, and it seems there's something about um, the expectations, you know, the family expectations that um, outside of Asian American culture, my impression is that it's really easy to cast off family expectations and to say like, oh, it doesn't matter, you know, mm -hmm. but that there's something a little bit more sacred or um, intertwined about expectations in the Asian American culture. Am I reading that right? Do you think? Um, I don't. Or I might not. I don't. No, 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 no. I was about to say like, I don't purport to speak for you know, other communities of color, sure. but I do feel like in a lot of parts of the world, communal identity is much more important than it is mm -hmm. here in the United States. Mm -hmm. And I actually think, uh, you know, Western individualism is, is, um, is a challenge, <laughs> Yeah. You know, like, uh, you know, for much of the world, that's not the norm. And, you know, in in, in biblical times, that wasn't the norm, right? Mm -hmm. So so I, I actually think, like, oh, I think actually the communal pieces are, they're more the norm in the world, yeah, but not necessarily here in the United States. Right. Um, and, like, so, I, you know, I was sharing with um, some students recently. I was speaking at a conference and had a small gathering with the Asian American students, and was talking about, you know, I, I know it can be challenging because you're um, feeling all these expectations from family and a lot of our, a lot of your friends who might not be Asian American and some Asian Americans aren't feeling those kinds of pressures. Um, and certainly it can be unhealthy. So I'm not trying to like paint it as all good, but there's a um, connectedness and, um, obligation in the most positive sense that um yeah that the more individual choices is very um there's a cost to that too mm -hmm. right there's a freedom in it but there's a cost you know like um watching some of my friends you know coming out of college you know their parents said yeah whatever makes you happy you know, you go ahead and this is a, a, a white friend and I was like wow I really thought that was only on TV but your parents <laughs> actually said that to you. And then you know, so they did. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. But then, you know, they chose something and, and it wasn't the easiest profession and it was hard, like making ends meet and some of these things. And, and I realized I was like, oh, her parents though really felt like once you're graduate, you know, you're on your own. Like mm -hmm. there wasn't a sense of like, um, how, how can we help? Or, you know, are there ways that we can partner with you or like it was a very like you're on your own you know so I was explaining that to these students because I was like you know my parents are have a lot of opinions but they're also very involved you right. know what I mean and like in a way that it's just different and I love it sometimes right like they're um and it's hard sometimes but like to not to not say it's it's you know freedom kind of cuts both ways I guess you mm -hmm. know, in a sense. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, just to say, yeah, the, I think the communal piece is actually, um, 
I think God did intend us for relationship and not to be solitary individuals on an island, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, I want to ask another question of law. Um, you wrote a chapter on religious diversity, and you share this story toward the end of the chapter about a friend of yours and the way you express Jesus's love for her. And it was maybe really one of my favorite things I've read recently about living out our faith. You you have kind of a, a long relationship, kind of friendship with her, and you are um, in a context where you're you're spending time with her and engaging in her own kind of cultural expression of religious faith mm-hmm. faith and you write this thing you say my may not be interested in Jesus but i believe that Jesus cares about my and that is reason enough for me to love my as Jesus would no matter what the outcome may be and i love that and i'm wondering can you know can you just say a little bit more about what it looks like to be a faithful follower of Christ in a diverse religious culture. This is such a great story about that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think through my relationship with many of my friends uh, who aren't Christian, um, and but, you know, are pretty devoted to their own um, faiths, taught me a lot about like what it looks like to be their friend. Um mm-hmm. As a Christian, mm-hmm. um, I feel like I grew up in like a Christian culture where it was about evangelism, conversions, and um, being intentional about your friends. And um, I think those are all great things. Uh, but I, I felt like I didn't need to, um, or like, I think that my relationship with my friend was like holding that tension of like an urgency to want them to know Jesus, but also knowing that they can, if they do like come to Jesus, come to Jesus in their own way and in their own time. Um, And that's out of my control and it should be something that I Mm -hmm. should try to control. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah. And, and so I think it really challenged me to go like when I am in these friendships, like, am I always going to have an agenda or am I just going to like see them for who they are and, yeah. uh, and meet them where they are. And um, yeah. And I felt like that to me um, for this particular friend felt like the best way for me to love her was to do that instead of, trying to tell her about Jesus all the time yeah. or something. Um, I think it's important to to just recognize that we are in like a religiously diverse space. And um, I think allow us to like express our individual faith um, because I think there's just so much we can learn from each other's faith, mm-hmm. um, even if we don't believe it or follow it. Um, but I think there is something for us to gain from that. And um, it might even teach us in how we express our faith and worship God. Um, and and I think our I think that's what makes our relationships with people from different faiths so valuable. Well, um, I want to turn and talk a little bit about our listeners. Most of our listeners are women who are in academic spaces or in professional school or um, professional callings. 
Um, and I'd love for them to have some ways to practically use this book. So can you suggest some ways this book could be useful in um, work or school contexts? I'm especially thinking about your chapter about women in Asian American um, spaces. And I think that could be really interesting for our listeners to hear more about. Yeah, um, the chapter we ended up writing, Linson and I wrote together on gender partnership mm-hmm. and trying to address some of the things we've seen. Um, you know, some of our Asian cultural backgrounds are more um, have more separation between genders or have different ways of um, interacting um, back in Asia. And and even sometimes though, like... Um, in, uh, migration can freeze cultural values. So sometimes, what are uh, sec- what what we, sometimes among second generation folks, we talk about how um, our parents, you know, left Asia maybe in the seventies, maybe eighties, whatever, whenever they did, and they're kind of frozen in that mm. that value where the in even in that country, maybe things have progressed or or are different, um, but uh, to them, it's you know this is the way you know. Um, so we're trying to write in that chapter some about uh, stereotypes that we faced. Um, ways that has um, ways those have harmed us um, both in both genders, but also how that has um, sometimes blocked us from good partnership um, across gender divide. Uh, a lot of times in ministry, so you know, both Linson and I are ministers, and so that's the context we know the most. But um, you know, from a number of friends in the academy, also know that you know. Um, you know, churches and ministries are often um, more male, very male dominated, and the academy is too, and professional schools. I think, I think some of the things that um, might be help- <clears throat> might be helpful from that chapter is um, is we try and talk about some of the ways that um, Linson tries to write about ways that men can um, uh, partner better with women, and and say like these are some of the things that um, I see that we could do um, structurally. Um, though, you know, we all, we, we acknowledge like, you know, this, this deserves a lot more, the system deserves a lot more attention. We are not qualified to write about the system, you know, but so we're trying to write for like, what can we do? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, some of the things I, I talked about were just how to, I, one thing that jumps out to me in this moment is how to, um, how to bring up concerns in partnership um, when we have them. And to try and see if there can be greater partnership as a result, you know, like if you feel like someone's talking over you in a meeting and like if if that person would be open to feedback kind of thing. Um, but also not to sort of pearls before swine, like if you've tried and it doesn't work, like save your energy kind of thing. Yeah. And um, but but I, I would say one other thing that I've been thinking about is. Um, the need to be able to see people. Um, doing the things that we want to do, you know? So I, I write about how um, um, how important it was for me to see uh, an Asian American woman preach, you know, at this at this student conference and, and how significant that was. So, you know, I know many of um, your listeners are probably in different leadership roles or teaching roles. And, and just to say, like, just you being there is so <laughs> significant. And... Um, ways to help. Um, and, and so just, yeah, to say, I hope that that chapter could be an encouragement, um, even if it's not specifically about the Academy. I, I actually have been reading um, 
Power Women. Oh yeah. Um, I know, uh, I'm sure you've talked about that book on, on this podcast and it's been, it's been really helpful and encouraging too. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, just to shout that out. Good. I'm curious to know um, ways that uh, listeners could use this book, maybe in their churches or in their communities. It seems like such an important time to raise awareness about um, Asian American communities um, for people who are in non-Asian American context to learn about it. But then also you have a lot in your book about um being in church as an Asian American. So kind of on both sides of that cultural divide. I feel like this book, I think for Asian Americans or not Asian Americans, um, I think a hope that I have, maybe how people might use it is that it can help people to know their stories and tell their stories. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like, um, like I hope that the, the book would introduce people to the idea that like, oh, like Asian Americans are not that simple. Like it's, they're not just this, they're all of this uh, and much more. And um, and so I hope it helps people to recognize, oh, we don't know. We don't know a lot. Um, and then become curious. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that it would invite more storytelling uh, and not just from like Asian Americans, but like everyone, right? Like I think Ooh. everyone should be telling more stories. Um, and I think that's just... I think in churches and communities that can feel really divided or like have really different opinions about things, I think stories can help, um, you know, people move forward and maybe understanding each other better and, um, and helping us to just have more humility, right. To listen and, uh, to hear from people before making assumptions. So, um, yeah, I hope the book would do that. Um, yeah. and I hope that people can use it in that way to help them to form their stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were writing uh, for Asian Americans, um, but also knowing that other folks are totally invited to read and and um, we welcome that. Like we want other folks to be learning our names as we're um, sharing with Asian Americans. And so, yeah, I mean, I think uh, I've heard about different uh, communities doing like book groups and um, Asian American or not, you know, um, a mixed group or um and it's been fun, you know, we've been invited to a few different things to zoom in and talk with folks as they're, you know, finishing up the book and stuff. And that's been fun. Um, but yeah, I totally echo what Law said about stories. Um, one comment I think I heard after the book was released was like, oh, like, is that you didn't. And And we tried to say this in the introduction, like, we're not trying to say, like, here's the here's the 10 point plan or here's the. 14 things you need to do to follow Jesus as an Asian American. We're trying to share our stories of discernment um, that every people, every uh, followers of Jesus in every, you know, time period and in every location and culture have had to discern what does it mean to follow Jesus in this culture for me in this time. And so we wanted to share something that from us, um, but even, even then the ways that all plays out are, are, really varied um, depending on the person and their mm-hmm. gifts and their community and their place and stuff like that. So we was just wanted to offer s- stories of discernment and how that's played out for us, but without necessarily saying like, you know, this is the, this is the formula, right? right. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't think there is one, you know, um, in that sense. Um, so yeah, I, I do hope it does empower more stories. I also hope that it, um, 
you know, in this particular time, I hope it helps catch folks who are, um, who are maybe realizing more of how, um, you know, faith doesn't have to be colorblind or shouldn't actually be colorblind. Mm -hmm. And that following Jesus, um, yeah, that Jesus sees us in all of our sociolocation, in all of our, um, who we are. And yeah, and that they can, you know, even non-Asian Americans can read it and get a sense of like, oh, what what might this mean for me? Or um, how might this um, influence me in the way I think about my faith? I came away from my conversation with Sabrina and La, refreshed by their reverence for the stories of our cultures and our families. It was a delight to talk with them. And I've included a link with a discount to their book in our show notes. And if you listen to the end of the credits, you'll get to hear a bonus question from the podcast where I ask Sabrina and La for some very practical suggestions for people who genuinely wish to pronounce unfamiliar names correctly, but are struggling to do it well. The Women's Scholars and Professionals podcast is hosted by me, Anne Boyd and is a production of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. We acknowledge that the opinions of our guests may not necessarily represent the ministry, doctrine, or policies of InterVarsity. You can find more information about our podcast and the other cool things we are doing at thewell.intervarsity.org. Our work is funded solely through the donations of our listeners and supporters, so if you enjoyed this podcast, you might consider joining our support team by donating even $10 per month. You can find out how to do this at our website. To ensure others will find and enjoy our podcasts as well, please consider rating and reviewing our podcast and sharing it with others. And as we close, listen in on Sabrina and La's practical tips for learning unfamiliar names. Yeah, I think I think for me, I would say, um, you know, most most people know how to pr- pronounce Sabrina. It's my middle name that has been um, challenging um, for folks. I think what I've appreciated is when people ask mm-hmm. and just try. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, my middle name is Siying. Um, I have a distinct memory of at my kindergarten graduation, the teacher reading Sabrina Zing Chan, mm. and I was like oh, she didn't even ask me how to pronounce it. You know, I was five. It's not like, you know, but I was like, did she ask anybody? Like, I, so even the effort to ask and try to me goes a long way. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I don't know if you have more thoughts on that. Um, Yeah. I, my, my thoughts were similar where it's, it's totally okay. Um, I know like we're used to people not being able to pronounce our names, whatever, uh, but I'd rather people try to figure it out instead of just forgetting or never saying my name. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So even if it's like, oh, can you repeat that? Could you yes. spell it out for me? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's fine. Like I, I'm accustomed to like that my name is not your typical name. And even though my name is very simple, it's just L A La. But I still like when I tell people, I always spell out my name for them. <laughs> um, because I think people always think it's more complicated than it is. And it's like, oh, my name's La, it's just L-A. And then um, they get kind of excited about it. But <laughs> um, so like I do that, but I feel like 
or someone who, uh, yeah, who like struggles with that. Like it, it's perfectly fine. I think people appreciate that you want to know their name and mm-hmm. you want to get it right. Um, and I think that's more meaningful than uh, pretending to know <laughs> yeah. or not admitting that you don't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm.